All right, in case you feel like it's a little bit uh, presumptuous for us to say that God will be forever ours, it's not. That is the beauty of what we have been talking about. It's what we understand Scripture to have to be all about, is that God has done something in Jesus to make us forever His. We are, the Bible describes us as joint heirs with Christ, that everything that Christ has, we have, that God treats us. In the same way that he does Jesus because it's Christ's righteousness that makes us right before God. So, so we are little brothers of Jesus, little sisters of Jesus. All of us have been made right with God. God would know, we're adopted sons and daughters, would no more be rejected than Christ would be rejected by God. And so to be, be able to say that is significant. Uh, it's interesting that in the context, I know Kobe doesn't do this intentionally most of the time. Maybe he did today. Uh, but we just try to plan whatever the Lord puts on our hearts to do. But, you know, we've been talking about how it, we're in this particular point in the book of, in the letter of, uh, to, to Timothy, Second uh, Timothy. Paul is, is reminding Timothy uh, not to be thrown off in, in, in his ministry, that as you continue to minister as a young minister and you take over where I'm leaving off in the close of my life, uh, Timothy, remember one thing, keep it simple. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified and him resurrected, and that's all it's about. And the rest of it is, uh, is you've got to be careful about. Make sure that whatever you say uh, regarding scripture and ideas and philosophical uh, ponderings related to uh, to scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, whatever. Uh, make sure that those things all lead back to the simplicity of the gospel because if it doesn't, you're going to cause people's faith to be shipwrecked. And that's sin. He describes it as iniquity. And he says the thing that we need to hold on to is this. Number one. Write it, on, write it on stone, set it, he says, uh, engrave this on the, on the stone of your life, a stone of your heart, is that you are forever his, right? Forever his. You're a child of God, you put your faith in him, nothing you can do will stop that. That's hard to believe, isn't it? To think that when we were singing this morning, uh, that, that God will be forever ours, that that's real. That's in Scripture. That's actually what we've been talking about. And if we dwell enough on that, then all the other stuff that doesn't matter that we make such big deals out of, like our our uh, you know the the pleasures of this world, hedonism, you know, all of the, the the things that please the flesh and 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 things that look good to us, and and the, the boastful pride of life, you know, all the the things that make us look good. All of a sudden, that stuff starts to to wane and become not quite so significant anymore. And then on the religious side, you know, our theology and our beliefs about all the different doctrines in the Bible and what the words mean and what they say and, and, uh, and our, our arguments over words, all of a sudden those things start to take a back seat. They, we don't care about that anymore. Uh, and and that, that's significant. It's significant that we see that. I have a friend who is just... Uh, uh, he has learned to abide in Christ uh, in the way that we talk about. Uh, he, is, he has been a, uh, one of my uh, protégés through the years, and, and God has used uh, the, the teachings, just similar to what Paul's talking about in this passage. Those teachings, he's embraced those, and he is now a minister. Uh, and, and 
in that role as minister. He went recently to a, a conference, a, the, a theology conference, which is some, something that pastors do. We go and we listen to what people think about the Bible and ideas from the Bible. Anybody sharing with me last week how he went to this conference and the reality struck him of the distance between where most of us are in theological circles and where God would have us to be as in this passage. That is, God would have our worship to be true. God would have us to be overwhelmed by what he's done for us in such a way that it changes the way we live, that our hearts are transformed, that God works in us through the, the, the preaching of the gospel to ourselves and the remembering of this, the gift of God of salvation and righteousness and, and a right standing before God, that, that we would be so moved by that that it would change the way that we desire to live, and then it would change the way we live. And, and, and he's, he understands that's what it means to abide in Christ, is to, to come to know God progressively through obedience, and, and that causes his worship to be true. And what he said was, he said, this is the first time I've been to a conference since I've understood who God really was. And my heart was changed so much that I was disappointed. Not in the fact that the things that were being taught were not accurate, but in the fact that when there was a worship service, nobody came. They had a worship service at the conference, and everybody was on the edge of their seats to hear arguments about words, but nobody wanted to go to worship. And that speaks to me, man. That, that was such a confirmation, again, that we are doing what God's called us to do as a church that this letter that Paul's writing to Timothy in the last moments of his life, these famous last words of Paul that, that are, are so significant for the church that we need to hear them as words written to us. We need to receive these words as words for us in our time. We are very in a very similar situation. We are in a very similar culture. Uh, now, obviously, we don't wear the same clothes. We don't eat the same food. I'm not talking about that. But a spiritual culture. Our spiritual environment in central Louisiana is very similar to what Paul was facing post-crucifixion and post-resurrection in trying to teach this new truth to people who were so concerned about doctrine and theology and philosophy and, and blending all those things together with truth. And so it's, it's important for us to understand, look, it is significant that at some point in your life, hopefully in the near future, you will be able to sing with passion and with a heart that's full. You'll be able to sing, I am forever his. And that that's all that matters. Man, once you got that, the rest of this stuff doesn't matter. What anybody thinks about me, how anybody feels about me, or whether I think the same way that they do, all that goes away. Whether I get to have the pleasures of, the, whether I get to find the physical pleasures of life, or whether I get to experience status in, in the, the, the things that, the, the kind of pride that I've had in the past, that stuff doesn't, it doesn't even, it doesn't come close to the beauty of knowing God and knowing that I belong to him. Right? Does everybody get that? All right, there's a lot of introduction, but, I, man, I, I was just overwhelmed by the song today. It was very good. A, an awesome text for us to be singing to God today. A wonderful lyric. So we've been talking about this letter to Timothy, this closing letter of Paul's life and the significance of that, these famous last words. 
And today we're going to pick up in chapter 3. We're going to read and cover the book of the, the chapter today. All right? Uh, you can write me letters and tell me how proud you are about that at any point that I'm covering a whole chapter in one sermon. Bill texted me yesterday and said, hey, what's your text? Is it 1 through 9 of chapter 3? I said, no, it's the whole chapter, Bill. You're going to have to read the whole chapter. He's, he, by the way, he's the only one that ever calls me and, or texts me and asks me what the text is. And you see where he's sitting. Just saying. He's a preacher. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's read it and pull a few truths out of it. Uh, it really, the only reason why we can go through it so quickly, I think, is because this is what, what God has for us out of this chapter uh, can be covered in a, in a message simply. But we're going to read the whole thing because I want the God's word to speak first, okay? Here we go, chapter 3, uh, 2 Timothy. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, uh, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Don't walk out yet. It was kind of a joke, but it wasn't really. Some of you didn't laugh. Uh, Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, So these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Chapter 3. All right, so first of all, he says, but understand this. Now, uh, he is. He begins to describe uh, the people he's been talking about in chapter two. At the end of chapter two, this is what happens whenever you chase after words. Whenever you're a, a babbler, and and you spend all of your time uh, saying things to get attention for yourself, he says, avoid these people. Who the people who have the appearance of godliness, right? They sound righteous. 
They sound godly. But, the, but they produce the fruit of hedonism. They produce a fruit of unrighteousness. He says, you know, if, if we'll think about it, remember that last week, Paul brought out that the difference between approved workmen and a babbling uh, wordsmith was the fruit that we saw in his life. Paul said that, uh, commended the, uh, Timothy that he had been an approved workman. And, and encouraged him to remember to continue to be an approved workman. Remember, that came out of the same, same word that's used in Romans chapter 12. Uh, that, that we would uh, not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That we might prove what the will of God is. His good and perfect and acceptable will. That is, they didn't, Timothy didn't just know the word, he lived it out. The difference is, these babblers were just people who spoke things, but then here's the description of the fruit in their life. They spoke good things sometimes, and they spoke controversial things at times, and they, they weren't careful about their words. They were saying things and arguing things that were causing believers to lose faith rather than gain faith because they weren't centering what they said around the, the truth of the gospel. And so the, the, he says, listen, this is how they are. You followed my teaching, but these people... Understand this. That's, it's only going to get worse. There are going to be people in the, in the last days who come during these times of difficulty, and they're going to have the same fruit. They're going to have the appearance of godliness. They're gonna, uh, to, going to look to the world or to the community to be spiritual people, but the words that they say and the life that they live will be two different things. Church, I want to just take a second for us to focus on that. Not to focus on it, but let's think about some people in the community who are like that. Let's do what what Paul's entreating Timothy to do. Evaluate your own life. Remember that a time is coming when there are going to be people all around us, and that time is now. We're going to talk about this some more next week in chapter 4 and bring to it some solution. But here's here's a problem. We don't want to be people out there who who are saying words and not living a life. You know, our words sound a little different than other people, other churches in the community. The words that we use, the terms that we use, things like abiding, you know, uh, uh, the abiding cycle, those words that are our words that God's given us as a church, when we talk about that, it sounds different than the way some other people talk. When we talk about God speaks to us, a lot of people in the community think, oh, they're weird people. They hear voices, you know. We understand as a church what that means. We don't hear voices. It's not weird. It's biblical. It's easy. It's simple. It's what God's always done. But, but when God speaks to us, we use that terminology. Our terms may sound different, but, but listen, church, if we're going to talk about abiding, then that means we need to be pursuing the word of God. We need to be pursuing understanding about the will of God. We, we don't need to be letting our words just go out and, oh, we've got this deep new meaning about what abiding means. Not new, but new to this community maybe. Oh, it's about hearing God's voice and obeying what he says. Bet y'all wish y'all knew that. You know, and that we've got this attitude that we've got words that we can say, and then we live this lifestyle that shows no pursuit of the will of God. Y'all with me? Everybody awake? You know, we don't need to miss this. Because as a church, if we miss this, we are, we are doing exactly what 
Paul is describing in this church. We are going to be, we are those people that Paul is warning Timothy about. That one day will come that will be babblers who are speaking words to hear themselves talk, to make themselves, to make the world uh, say, wow, you guys are special. Or maybe the world's not going to say that, but we can say it to ourselves, we're special, aren't we? He didn't even understand. Look at us. Yeah, well, that's us. That's who he's describing here. So, so we need to let the Holy Spirit convict us today about this. Are we going to be those people who are just hearing words and, and saying things different and, and proud and, and self-centered? And are we going to be people who are focused on getting the gospel out to the lost? Paul repeats this. Same concept to the, to the letter, in, to his, in his letter to the church at Rome. This same idea or concept. He talks about the gospel and he talks about how the gospel is being messed up by people who, have, who are all about words and no actions. Look at what he says in chapter 1 of Romans, verse 16 to 26. This is familiar to us. The first, verse 6, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For... In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed uh, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, but because uh, God has shown it to them, uh, or rather, because God has shown it to them. For the invisible attributes, namely the eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the, of the world in the things that have been made. So they were without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor God, honor him as God, or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. And therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. So Paul is saying the same thing to the church at Rome. This is a problem that existed throughout the world, and it still exists today. It's a problem of us not understanding that there needs to be a connection between what we say and what we do, and that the world is full and is still full uh, of people who, unfortunately, not only are they saying things that are, that are uh, not connected to the, to the gospel and are shipwrecking people's faiths, but they are saying it from pulpits, in churches, in Bible studies. They are speaking these things to God's people and causing God's people to go astray. And they're speaking these things to unbelieving people in the church, standing in a place where they would be respected. And they're saying these things. And so the truth is not being proclaimed. Instead, there's these persuasive words that get some results. Now, again, don't think about people and try to identify who those churches are. 
just know it still exists today. Let, let, me, let me help you to identify one, okay? I'm going to say his name. And I'm, gonna, uh, I'm not going to tell you the church that he goes to, but I'm going to say his name. He's a pastor. Glenn Watley. That's his name. Look, I, I did this. It, it's not only deceptive to the congregation. It's, it's pastors who are speaking what they really think. I was preaching a gospel. I was preaching words that did not lead people to the gospel. And when people respond to words that are not leading to the gospel, then it, then it causes them to think they have salvation, and they're walking in disobedience, and it doesn't make sense. Some of you believed that way. Some of you fell prey to what I was preaching before I knew the Lord in, this, in, in the truth in this way. Listen, this kind of teaching is not foreign to us. It is at our door. It is in our community. And we need to be people who are people of truth in the word. We need to be people who are approved workmen walking in what we, what we hear. All right? And, and Paul is clear in this message. And what he's saying is avoid them. Avoid them. Avoid listening to, falling prey to, uh, avoid being around these people uh, for, for discussions and conversations. Avoid them. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't love people. It just means in a way of spiritual truth, avoid being around these people. Now, why? Why does he say avoid them? Look at verses 6 and 7. He says, because they capture weak women. Burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Here's a quote by uh, Wiest in his commentary. He says, one of the great virtues of womanhood, namely that of trusting another, is turned into a weakness by Satan's, uh, by Satan here. Eve was deceived. Adam sinned with his eyes wide open. Uh, he uses women as, an, as a, an illustration here because women are trusting. And in, in this community where they were apparently, uh, these, these teachers were not getting very far with the men who were, who were, leading, who were leaning towards uh, following Christ. But they were able to find these weak women who would trust anything that a man of authority would say to them. Now, it applies to all of us, not just to women. Uh, I have to say that because Talitha's going to be mad if I don't. Not really. Uh, Wilhelm Martin DeWitt, in his commentary, uh, made, this made this statement. And this is a, a, a theologian from the late 1700s, early 1800s. He said, a sin-laden conscience is easily tempted to seek the easiest method of relief. All right, I'm going to read that again so you can grab it. A sin-laden conscience is easily tempted to seek the easiest method of relief. And that method of getting relief from a sin-laden conscience is the embracing of a false religion, one that satisfies the religious instinct instead of the individual, and at the same time fails to deal with the sin question and the true way of salvation. Now, now that, that moves easily from just women to all of us. How many of us have fallen prey to this? 
we, have, we know we're sinners. We have sin in our lives. We see our failures. Um, for most of my life in ministry, I focused on my sin, constantly beating myself up and feeling guilty and trying to rededicate my life to Christ and pull myself up by my own bootstraps, do something to be better, and, because that's what religion was telling me to do. It's the easiest way to deal with this sin-laden conscience. And when I would do well, when you would do well, how would you feel? Pretty good, right? When you walk down the aisle and rededicated your life, ah, angels singing, right? You walk out, and it's like, wow, man, I got this. And for about two weeks, you feel like, man, I am the, I'm the best Christian around here, right? Finally got this thing whipped, and then th- week three comes. And you're not, ah, you go, ah. The song kind of changes, and now it's, you're beating yourself up again. You're guilty because you fell again. That's because that's not based on the gospel. But it is an easy way out. And a lot of people want that. They want to feel better about themselves. And if I can go to church, for instance, if I can go to church, I feel better about myself. I walk out of the door and say, well, I feel really good. I went to church today. All right? Everybody look at me. Don't. Don't. Don't feel better. Don't feel better about yourself. Not for that reason. Not for anything that you do spiritually. What you do is this filthy rags before God. It it does nothing to to help you in your relationship with God. What does matter is, are you engaging the Holy Spirit's leading right now? Are you hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying to you? Are you going to respond to that and be be different when you walk out of here today uh, as a result of what you've heard? Not by your own power. And and, and if you fail tomorrow, are you going to beat yourself up? Are you going to rejoice in the fact that Jesus is, our, is your righteousness. Even in your failure, you can be excited and rejoice in the fact that God has made me perfect in Christ. All right? Check yourself about how you're responding to sin in your life. Because that's significant. What's happening with these guys who are all about words and, and, and people don't ever see their actions? All right, it takes a while for people to see their, who they really are. Ultimately, they do according to this passage, is that they can fool people. They can say one thing and live another. Y'all want to know a pastor that's done that before? He has the same name as the last pastor. Still try to do that at times. Live one thing, say another. I'm trying to get over that and realize it doesn't matter. I can be me, and it's good enough. Whether it's good enough for you doesn't matter. It's good enough for God. I can be me because God God looks at Jesus and not at me. We need to see clearly our role as faithful men and women in this community. We need to be, first of all, watchful that we are not drawn away by easy religion that eases our sin-laden conscience, okay? Don't be those people. For us today, here's, our, here's the conviction number one, hopefully. Here's test number one for you in your life. Everybody listening, plug in, say, oh, yeah. Be watchful. That easy religion doesn't become your cure for a sin-laden conscience. Satan tries to keep your sin on your mind, make it heavy, and then give you the easy way out. Secondly, be protectors of those who have weak faith and are being drawn away right now. We need to be the protectors of those people who are constantly being drawn away into this. We need to be able to be going into the houses of these people. 
and saying, don't listen, don't listen. Paul told Timothy in chapter, in, in first Timothy, don't tell them not to listen to these false teachers. We need to be protectors of those. We need to see our ministry as being out in the community, living a life of freedom and rejoicing in the, in the God that we have and, re- and, and let our hearts be full uh, to talk about him, speak about who he is in the community. And then we also need to be protectors and, uh, of those who are still walking in that legalism that burdens them down. It doesn't lighten the load. It just it, re- it, it removes the feelings of guilt for sin and then helps them to feel better by espousing some uh, religious belief. We're going to see a third role next week, not only protecting those who are weak, but teaching them and strengthening their faith so that they're no longer like these silly women that Paul describes. You know, third thing, Paul gives Timothy an encouragement about his past faithfulness. In verses 10 through 13, he says, You, however... Have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul reminds Timothy here of his faithfulness to what he had received from God through Paul. Remember, Paul had already reminded him of of his teaching and told him in the close of his life, Timothy, as a young pastor, a young preacher, and as a church, the gathering place west, as representatives of God and called men and women and faithful men and women, you have a responsibility uh, to pass this message on. Uh, and, and this is the message. Paul says, uh, follow my teaching, my conduct, my aim, my life. He reminds him of his faithfulness that he received from Paul and tells him, hold on to it. And when he says teaching, again, he's, not, uh, he's, talking, he's connecting his teaching and his life together. He doesn't just say, you've held to my teaching, you've been faithful in that. But he says, my teaching, which is my conduct, my life aim, my faith, my patience, steadfastness. It's the fruit that remained in Paul's life as a result uh, of, of what God had done in his heart and life. God had changed Paul and he was living it out and he was speaking one thing and doing the same thing. Here's what I love about new member training or orientation or whatever we call it, which we don't do a whole lot at the gathering place, but if you want to be a part of the gathering place as a member, we will be doing one in January, starting in January, after the holidays. But here's what I love about it. If people, usually people have been in our church and visiting for a while before they go to that uh, new member orientation. And so when they go to new member orientation, when I start describing the distinctives of our church, they go, yeah, yeah, I can see that. I, I mean, yeah, tell us something we don't know. We've already, we've already experienced that. We, we know you believe that, okay, so... I love that. You know why? It's because it shows me that you guys are living what you're saying. That the distinctives of our church are being lived out in your daily life. 
that what God's called us to do, what God has spoken through me to this body and the elders of this body, what God has given us to speak to this body in regard to how we are to live out that the, the timeless truth, that's the same truth that Timothy was living out in Ephesus, how we live out timeless truth in this environment, that we get it. We don't just understand it, we live it. And so, I, man, I encourage you guys, in the same way that Paul was encouraging Timothy, he says, he says Timothy, uh, you've been faithful to this. You have followed all these things. But after reminding Timothy of his past faithfulness, he issues a challenge that is also for us today in the next verses. Look at verses 14 to 17. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's easy when you are a, uh, a part of the system that relieves sin-laden consciences with easy religion. But what about when you preach Jesus only and refuse to be a part of these practices? Paul says you better be ready for persecution. If you're just going to limit what you say and limit what you do down to Jesus and the result that he puts, then the way that he changes your heart and causes you to live, get ready for persecution. And you're going to get it from all sides, but mostly from the same people that were persecuting Timothy and those who believed in Ephesus, that they were just loving Jesus and excited about Jesus and talking about the resurrection and talking about uh, his death and, how, and his atoning blood and the sacrifice, and, and you know, the way that, that I'm sure this was a big part of their, the, the atoning conversation was how Jesus, at the Last Supper, took years of, of uh, in the interpretation of, or the celebration of the Passover feast, of, of when Jesus, uh, when the death angel passed over everyone, uh, who, all the Israelites in the Exodus uh, narrative. And, and then Jesus says, in the same way that the blood of the lamb that was put on the doorpost in the Exodus story, when, when your forefathers were leaving, Israel, leaving Egypt, uh, and God, God looked over that house. In the same way, the wages of sin is death. But because of the blood of Christ, the death angel is passing over you. And my blood is what you need to remember now. My blood becomes the blood on the doorpost. My body is the lamb that was broken. All of it pointed to Jesus. And Jesus makes sense of it and tells them that. Can you imagine how much they celebrated that? That's all they wanted to talk about was our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. It doesn't matter. And it changed their hearts and their lifestyles. And and the religious people hated hearing that. And, And today in this community, religious people will persecute you not in the same way. But they will persecute you. You will, you will face opposition. Uh, you will face challenges. People are going to get in your face about what you believe if you just stay simple. But we need to stay simple. Paul says continue to live in what you learned and, and what you've seen because it's grounded in ageless truth and it's been breathed by God, breathed out by God. 
It's all we need to accomplish all that these worldly babblers are trying to do through their empty words and arguments. I think it's interesting that today, uh, you know, this week we begin the, this, the Advent season. You know, the, we celebrate the, the fact that, that Jesus left heaven and came to earth. You know, that, that's the first celebration is what I've been thinking about all week. I hope you have too. You know, this is, the, this is the week we celebrate that. But how does John describe Jesus coming to earth? He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the word, Jesus. And the word became flesh, the Jesus we know, and dwelt among us. But listen. There were two different responses to the word in John's gospel. The first response was, he came to his own. Now, who was his own? Who was Jesus' own people? The Jews. He came to his own people who knew the law, had, had the law of Moses, had all the, the scriptures, the same scriptures that Timothy had growing up. He had these scriptures. And Jesus came, Jesus, the one who spoke the scriptures, who wrote the scriptures, uh, came to the, to the world, and those people received him not. But there was a second group of people in John's gospel. He says, but to as many as received him, he gave the power to become children of God. Children of God. Born not of the flesh but of the spirit man that's a beautiful picture for us today but but here's what we need to recognize in the context of this message from paul to timothy is jesus is still the word what's significant is the word what's significant is what god says it's not it's not what i i want to the clever ways that i want to add something to the word or my interpretations or my philosophical ponderings that I want to bring to you and these, these uh, uh, little unique ideas that we find and argue about in Scripture. It's not those things. It's, it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's, everything is tied to that. And we need to stay in the word. We need to have the gospel as our foundation and we need to interpret the word of God by the gospel. We need to keep it simple. And then as we read, how, does, how is this pointing to Jesus and what he did for me? How does this point to Jesus and what he did for me? How does this uh, cause me to respond to that? That's what the Bible is about. It's all we need to accomplish all that worldly babblers are trying to accomplish right now through their words and arguments. You want to know truth? Read the word. Let the Holy Spirit interpret it for you. The beauty of the gospel is God is in us. Jesus said he is now with you and he will be in you, talking about the Holy Spirit. He is in us. Jesus said that that's better for us than if he would be here in physical form. So it's all we need to accomplish uh, what we need in life. So, he says, this is what the scripture is useful for. First of all, he says teaching. Or all four of them. Teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. I want to say a word about these and we're out. Okay, y'all still with me? Say, oh yeah. 
All right, grab this, because this is what he says we need to focus on. You have everything you need right here. It's, it, look, he says, as for you, continue in what you've learned. Because it's based on this, and, and, and what you've learned is this. This is what we're about. It's in the Word. It is the Word. It's the spoken Word of God also. It's what God's going to tell you tomorrow about life that's consistent with what he wrote and gave us in the inspired scriptures. All right, God speaks. He still speaks. The Word of God It's profitable, first of all, for teaching. It, it's the text that we need. Okay, we don't need another text. Is it wrong to use other books? No, but it is. We do need to be careful about replacing God's Word with other books or podcasts or sermons or right now media. We need to be careful about replacing the Word of God with those things. We need to hear from God. All right, so it's profitable for teaching. And, 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 and for you as a teacher, let's put ourselves in the place that Paul is putting Timothy. As you teach people, you have the, everything you need to teach in the, in, the, in the Word of God. Whatever God gives you to give to somebody else, that is a, a beautiful word to hand off to somebody. That's all you need. You don't need somebody else's approval. You don't need to, to, to check with Russ to make sure if it's an Old Testament text that everything's okay. Our New Testament check, text to check with uh, Wes to see if it's okay. Saw how I threw you in there, man. You like that, huh? Graduate. Uh, you don't have to check with people to find out if, if it's okay. The text and the Holy Spirit tied to the text will interpret. All right? Speak. Teach people the word of God. The second thing is reproof. It's all the word of God is all that we need to tell us what's wrong with our actions and with the actions of others. We don't need, again, we don't, we don't need to, to replace um, the word of God with religious leaders, our friends, to try and find out what's wrong with our life. I promise you if, you, make a, if you have a steady diet of the Word of God, you're reading it every day, you get in it, you, you get a steady diet of it. You get yourself in a place where you can be conscious enough to hear it and understand it. And you, you put yourself in a place where it's being read and described. You have the only text that you need, all that you need to, it's a, it's a plumb line. It'll drop into your life and you will see yourself as either right or wrong. That's what reproof is. I, I see how I'm wrong. How do I do that? Read the text. How, how many times do you, you know, why do you think that Satan doesn't want us to read the Bible? It's because when we read the Bible, we find ourselves in there. And it's not usually on the same line as the Bible. It's usually we find ourselves going off this way. And the Bible will, will reprove us. All right? It, it will show us where we're going wrong. But it will also it's also useful for correction. It's all we need to tell us how to fix what's wrong with us. It's both the doctor and the prescription. The Word of God is both the doctor showing us what's wrong with us and the prescription telling us how to heal ourselves or how to be healed. And so the Word of God is all we need for that. Be careful to not try and fix yourself. 
You're not the doctor. The Bible is the doctor. So just because the Bible, here's what, what I did, spent most of my life doing uh, personally and also the way my ministry was. I felt like my job, well, well, first of all, I felt like my life was I was supposed to read the Bible, find out what's wrong with me, and then do everything I could to make it right. Anybody else in here have that? Like I need to work hard uh, to, to try and make myself right because I see where I'm wrong. Now, it also was my ministry. My ministry was to tell people how they were wrong, and that was it. And then I'd give my suggestions about how they could pull themselves up with some kind of self-help scheme, make themselves better. All right, listen, church, again, Paul is saying that for a reason. That's what's going on in Ephesus. And the reason why we're preaching that now for us is that's what's going on here, maybe in this room, but definitely in this community. Here's something you're going to face every day in this community. You're going to face religious people who are trying to tell you, here's what's wrong with the way you live. We've got this rampant sin going on in our, in our uh, community, and so we need to hold each other accountable so that we don't sin that way anymore. No. No. Accountability is not the solution to the problem. And when God's Word reveals a problem, if it's God's Word, if we're letting the Word of God reveal to us what our issues are, the solution is going into the Word to find out from God, what do I need to do to fix this? Man, God is so faithful to give you the words you need. He doesn't just convict you of something, and, and you know that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us of sin, but when you're convicted, He doesn't just leave you there without a solution. He's got solutions waiting for you, so ask for them. God, I hate the fact that I'm sick spiritually. You have shown me something. It grieves me, so show me what to do. Now, God may bring people into your life. He may speak through people. Uh, he may bring circumstances that will speak to you what to do. He may, he may bring, uh, bring it to you right through his word in your quiet time or in a message uh, through another believer who's sharing truth to you. Uh, he may do it as you're praying and just the Holy Spirit speaks to you a solution. All of those things being consistent with and founded and grounded in the Word of God, not inconsistent with that. But He is going to speak because God is, is the doctor and the prescription. So the Word of God is profitable for teaching. So all we need is a text. Reproof. It's all we need to tell us what's wrong with our action. Correction. It's all we need to tell us how to fix the problem. And then the last thing, training in righteousness. It's all we need to live a proactive life. I say proactive. What I mean by proactive is if, if I'm going to run a marathon, I'm not. Let's use another example. Um, if I'm going to eat a big meal, no. Yeah, if I'm going to run a marathon... Obviously, you can look at me and tell me I'm t- tell that I'm going to have to do some, a bunch of training, and I'm also going to have to have two knee replacement surgeries and a lot of other things. But if I'm going to run a marathon, I've got to do some training to get there. And I realize that. Okay, I'm going to be proactive. I'm not just going to go run a marathon. I'm not just going to put on the little outfit and go there, but the, you know, get my number and say, "Okay, I'm there," and then run a half a mile, and everybody wonder why I'm passed out on the ground. And you know, and that could be a lot worse. But I'll stop there. You get the picture. Training in righteousness means I'm being proactive. I'm saying, God, I want to get up in your word every day. 
I don't want to wait until something's going on in my life to start seeking you for answers. I don't want to wait until i got a problem and I need an, I'm desperate for an answer. Then I come to you and say, oh, God, please. And that's the only time I ever get to hear you speak and guide my life. I want to go to you every day and say, God, what do you see? One of our, one of our problems, uh, one, of the, one of the consistent problems with abiding for us is that, you know, we talk about pursuing God in his word. We talk about setting the table for God. That is, put every issue that, you got, that you're facing before God. If I'm trying to make a decision about a job, put it before God and ask him what he thinks about it. Ask God, which job should I take? Ask God, what career you should, should choose? Ask God, what woman you should date? Ask God all these questions. That's a good thing. It is a great thing. It helps you to understand how God speaks when you put those things out, and then you go, wow, God spoke to that. But the bad thing is when you get in a fixation there and you, you quit listening for God to speak outside of the questions you're asking. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to God and I've written down five or six questions, and God says, hey, you know, Hey, well, he doesn't say this, but this is what I think he's saying. He's like, yeah, those are good, but hey, let's talk about something else. This is what I'm interested in talking about. And he gives me a whole other list of things, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit's going to be in control. It's good to pursue, though, guys. Be proactive. Get in the Word, because when you're getting in the Word, you're opening up every opportunity for God to speak to you, to speak truth into your life, to tell you how to interpret life in, in connection with the gospel message. All right, that's all you need. You just need the Word of God. All right, let your life be surrounded by, filled with the Word of God. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And, and Paul tells Timothy that as a way of saying, continue in what you've learned. All right, so here's, a, here's the final part of the message today for us in conclusion. I believe that I can say to you today the same things that Paul said to Timothy. There, there are people out there that are, that, are, uh, that are babbling. They're saying a lot of words, and they get a lot of attention, and they're a lot, they have a lot of followers. But they're not focused on the simple message of the gospel. Don't listen to them, number one. Number two, save people who are falling prey to that, trying to relieve that sin consciousness and that sin-laden, that heaviness that comes from, uh, from the guilt that we feel in sin that Satan puts on us over and over again with religious religion rather than the, the gospel. Save them from that. We need to pre- put that message out in this community. Number three, congratulations. You guys are doing a great job. You really are, man. You, have, you are living by the truth that God has given us, and it's having its effect in the community. He's having his effect in the community because we're, obe- we're obeying what he said. And number four, stay true to that. How do I do that? Get in the Word. Read it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Sing it. Write it. Not your own scripture. Copy it. Man, get in the Word of God. Get it all up in your life, all right? And and that's probably the biggest conviction today. Don't turn that into guilt. Turn it into action. Do we as a church believe that the word of God is enough? Tied to the gospel. Do Do we believe that the word of God is what we need for training, for all these things, teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness? Then let's live like it.
Let's live like it. Let's don't be the first group that he uh, showed us in this, in this text. Get in the word. Every moment that you can. I know all of us have busy lives, and some of us way busier than others. But whatever moments you have, man, get in the word and let God speak. All right? Chapter 3. All right, let's pray and deal with God in our own lives this morning, and then we'll, do, we'll worship before we go. Father, like Paul, we are not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Your righteousness has been revealed to us, and we have put our faith in Christ, and we live by that faith. But we understand this, that this is, these are last days, and there's difficulty because there's people around us who have a form of godliness, but really are denying the power, the, the power of the simple gospel to change and transform lives. And so, and they're doing it because it brings attention to themselves. They're lovers of self, lovers of money. They're proud, arrogant, all these things that Scripture describes. Father, we don't want to be those people. You have changed our lives, God. We have followed the teaching that you've given us. We've allowed it to make its way into our conduct and our, our purpose for living. Lord, you have given us patience and love and steadfastness, even in the face of persecution. And God, we, we need you to help us, though. to continue in these things. So I pray today, God, that we won't be selfish, but, Father, that we will allow your Spirit to motivate us today to see our role in this, that we would be watchful, to not be drawn away by easy religion, or even to listen to the enemy whenever he tries to burden us down with sin and the reality of our sin. But, but also, God, that we'd be protectors of those who have weak faith and are being drawn away. We live in a community full of those. Thank you for drawing us out of that. And God, I just want to ask you to encourage this congregation and challenge us, Lord, today to continue in what we've learned and have firmly believed, knowing that we learned it from you knowing that everything that we've learned regarding Scripture through the years culminates in the things that you've told us. These are, these are truths from your word. Sink those things into our hearts and minds. Let our lives result in fruit that shows these truths. Praise you, God, and we thank you, and we worship you this morning.